Hi friend, do you ever need to create marketing materials easily? Whether you need to make flyers or artwork for your blog, your podcast, or any number of different things, check out Canva. Go to findyourflow.com forward slash Canva. That's C-A-N-V-A. I've been using the free version of Canva for many, many years, and I recently upgraded to the pro version, and it's awesome. So go to findyourflow.com forward slash Canva to learn more. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Find Your Flow radio show podcast. I'm your host, Winston Winters, and I'm here today with a very special episode. Today's episode is absence. Yes, absence. The legendary drink. The green fairy. And I am whispering because I'm outside. I'm doing this podcast for the very first time out in my backyard in the middle of the night. It's about 11 o'clock here in Texas. And this is going to be the first episode that I do that will be explicit. It'll be marked as explicit. So I'm going to ask that if you are below 18, that you turn this one off. Or if you have parental guidance, that's okay. If the parent says it's okay, I'm not gonna be cussing. But I'm talking about absinthe, for one, which is an alcohol. So most areas, at least here in the United States, you do have to be 21 to drink it in many areas. And then, I don't know if you can hear Bob drinking water in the background. Uh, and then I'm also going to be talking about tobacco. And so this is the first episode, like I said, that I've ever done that I will be marking as explicit content for those reasons. So I just want to give you a heads up about that. And... And we'll go from here. So I'm also going to light up a tobacco pipe at this moment. So you may hear some noises. I'm going to try to keep annoying noises off the mic, but I want to give you a heads up. So bear with me just a moment. All right, friend. What a crazy night. So it is December, I think 27th, maybe 28th, 2021. And it's a beautiful night out here. Like I said, I'm in our backyard here in Texas, outside of Dallas, Fort Worth. We've been living here about two months now. I'm enjoying a glass of absinthe. I just lit a tobacco pipe and I, I don't recommend don't want to promote this stuff, which is why I've never really talked about it before and why I'm marking this episode as explicit because I don't want to be, and I may not even publish this to be honest. I don't know yet. We'll see. I might test it out. I don't want to promote that kind of lifestyle, but at the same time, I try to be honest with this and I do enjoy it. My pipe just went out. So I started smoking a tobacco pipe maybe a few months ago. Mm, Probably longer than that, I guess maybe six months now. During the quarantine, being locked indoors all the time. Went to Old Town San Diego 
and uh, and I saw it, there's a tobacco shop there, and I went inside, and it just felt very familiar. I love the smell, and I just thought, you know, something I guess I've always I've, I realized um, months afterward that I've always collected photos, or I used to collect photos. I used to have Playboy magazine subscription, and Elena bought, started buying for me. <laughs> uh when we were in college when we started dating many years ago about 21 years ago she went away to college Santa Bar UC Santa Barbara and I was still in San Diego and she bought me a subscription to Playboy to just keep me out of trouble <laughs> smart girl and and so they always had these really neat pipes in there and I used to love looking at them. I didn't smoke tobacco pipes back then, but I just thought they always looked so cool and someday I'd like to have one. And so we were in, I was in Old Town and one night I was like, you know what, gosh darn it, I'm gonna get one. And I did. And they have these different tobaccos there and I got one called Dr. Charlie, which uh, smelled amazing. And the gentleman who helped me, that was his favorite too, turned out and um, I got some. and. Before I left San Diego for good, or you know, when we moved here, I ended up making one more trip there with Bradley. Took him out there and stopped by and picked up a few flavors for myself, uh, three different tobaccos, and we had a wonderful day there. And so now I'm enjoying one called Cherry Mystique. And again, I don't want to promote this, and like I don't advocate it. It's a horrible habit. It's not a great thing, but I enjoy sitting on the back porch and doing some tobacco from time to time. I'm using this beautiful lighter I have, a Sean Dietrich lighter of Lady Liberty. And it's a Zippo if you go to Sean Dietrich Art, D-I-E-T, I think R-I-C-H, art.com. Um, friend I know from back in the day doing art shows. We, him and the Infusion Soft, or sorry, Infusion Project, Infusion Project back in the day, and I level three records was my company. We used to do art shows, art events downtown and throughout San Diego. And some of these artists in the Infusion Project would create art live while us DJs and musicians and stuff would put on live music. And I'm going to take a sip of absinthe. Excuse me. Oh, it's creamy and cool and delicious and absinthe. I got into absinthe. Hmm. Well, a long time ago, a long time ago, I was, my mom was very artistic, very artistic. And actually, I found recently some more of her old sketches and things from when she was probably, I don't know, probably, I would guess, college age. And some nudes, you know, which was kind of crazy to see. But, you know, she was very artsy. I grew up around that with her being a professional photographer and hair and makeup person and having models over at the house and um, all the time. And then me, you know, modeling for her so she could take practice different photos and lighting and hair and makeup and things. So that's very much something I grew up with and with her being very entrepreneurial and artistic. And she never finished college, neither did my dad. And my, but my mom took classes. She was like, often would take classes at the the college when I was growing up, the community college. And then she would go do the thing. Like she would take, she was a baker for a while. She designed cakes at a bakery when she was younger before me. And then she did hair and makeup in our house 
and then she had a my dad had installed a hair cutting chair in the back room so she cut hair for years and then uh yeah she wanted to be a professional she did weddings, you know, hair and makeup for brides and that kind of thing, and then photography, and then did hair and makeup for some shows, TV shows, commercial, more uh, often like um, magazines, magazines and those kind of photo shoots and whatnot. And I got to meet Aaron Chang, who's a famous surf photographer. If you've ever seen any of his work, it's really beautiful. Got to even model for him one time. Uh, in this catalog, <laughs> which is just kind of, you know, one of those things is cool. I got a chance to do that. It wasn't like I got paid or anything, but I happened to be there and, and all that neat stuff. So, um, so yeah, so I grew up around that. And so absinthe, oh, Mucha, Mucha, M-U-C-H-A. It's a famous artist. And a lot of the art was kind of this green and, very airy fairy with lots of swirls and I think French and based off of absinthe, you know, drinking absinthe and kind of the absinthe vibe, the hour of absinthe as they had back then in France and uh, people would get together and drink absinthe. So I've always been interested in psychedelic type things, other dimensional type things ever since I was very young. Alice in Wonderland is my favorite movie and probably has been since I've, forever. I think it's always been my favorite movie since I was a kid. I can recite most of it. And I was thinking about it the other day. One, once upon a time ago, one of my friends, um, good friends, Dave, his a girl he was dating at the time, we were having a conversation. She, you know, asked me why, why do you, you know, what you, what do you like about it? And I, at the time, I couldn't really think of why there's just so many reasons flowing through my head but it was but the more i think about it many years later it's like well i always liked that she alice was able to go into her wonderland and it was realer than her real land you know she could get she got lost in it and i could really relate to that to being very much in a different reality than most people seem to be that there was something else beyond what most other people were aware of. And I guess I've always kind of felt that way. And then just, you know, the music and colors and characters and all that, of course, was great. I loved all of that. So there's a lot of levels to it. And when I was young also, my mom was very, very religious. She would bring, she became Jehovah's Witness when I was pretty young. I, th I think four or maybe even a little bit younger. I'm not entirely sure. But she had not been Jehovah's Witness when my parents got married. And then she was home alone a lot, you know, taking care of me and then eventually my younger sibling. And I think they, Jehovah's Witnesses, in case you're not aware, they do what is called pioneering. So they go out and they recruit, basically, or they you know try to help people through their religion. So they knock on doors, right? And they came to my parents' house and started conversations with my mom. And uh, eventually, she joined and you know became Jehovah's Witness full on, and would take me and my younger uh, sibling to her church, which is called the Kingdom Hall. And so I grew up with that, 
right? And my dad hated it. He hated it. He felt that we were being brainwashed and that we are in a cult. And it was very tough growing up in that kind of atmosphere where my mom truly, truly believed she was saving our souls. You know, this is the, the truth. They even call it the truth with a capital T, right? We've got the truth. How long have you been in the truth? I've been in the truth five years. I've been in the truth 10 years. So they call it the truth. And my dad was not in the truth. And in the truth or in Jehovah's Witness religion, you're supposed to marry other people who are in the faith, right? In, in that same religion. And if you happen to not be in that religion, uh, married to someone in that religion, you're supposed to still stick with them anyway, and you know, because because marriage is sacred and all that good stuff. But as you can imagine, that caused a lot of tension and arguments, heated arguments, very heated arguments, very emotional arguments that I remember. And my mom, you know, arguing and screaming and crying and wanting to take us to her, her church, which she often did. And my dad feeling frustrated and not able to do anything helpless, probably, you know. And I just remember going all the freaking time, it seemed like, to her church. And so maybe there was part of that where it was like, I could get away into my own imagination, you know, in a world of my own and be there. And it was pleasant. <laughs> it was whatever I wanted it to be, right? So I felt like, how do I get there? More more there. How could I even be more in it? And I watched that dark movie so many times when I was young. And... I always felt, and, and you know, in that movie, there's very interesting things, right? She drinks a potion, and then she eats some magical cookies, and she gets bigger, and she gets smaller. She eats magical mushrooms, she gets bigger, she gets smaller. So there's magical things in that movie, and psychedelic moments. You know, she's talking to this caterpillar smoking a hookah, and all these things are these magical characters that she's talking to who are just silly and crazy and, and mad at her and they're drinking tea and having this insane party. And it's, it all was just like, yeah, this is, I love this. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to take a sip of absinthe as I think about it. So, so when did I first have absinthe? I don't quite recall, but if I had to guess, it was probably maybe in the early 2000s, maybe mid to late 2000s, I guess. Yeah, you know what? Oh, I do remember. Okay, so I was in real estate, and we were living in Rancho Bernardo. So it had to be between like 2005, 2008 would be my guess. And I bought a kit online, make your own, brew your own absence. I was so excited because I always wanted to try it. But, you know, it's illegal here. It was illegal here in the States. And so I found a do-it-yourself kit and I brewed it. And then my friend Andrea, who I've known um, since, I guess, high school and she happened to be she came over and I was really excited to drink absinthe with Andrea she's a good friend and you know cool cool person love her and so we drank some absinthe and 
Elena was, I don't think she had any. I think she wasn't really drinking at the time. But, you know, she didn't mind if we were having fun. So we drank some absinthe and then we went out. We lived on this golf course at the time. And like right on the golf course, it was actually pretty beautiful. It's a condo. It had some things that weren't great, but overall it was pretty beautiful. And so it was the middle of the night and, you know, we're drinking absinthe and we're trying to, you know, is it working? Can you feel it? Yeah, I think so. Can you feel it? Yeah, I think so. Does everything feel kind of green and fuzzy? Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's go take a walk. So we went out and we walked around in the moonlight, like all, you know, absent, tripping on, drinking absinthe. And we took a walk around the, a lap around the part of the golf course. And it was in just, you know, had cool conversations and whatnot. So that was the first time I drank it. And then we had uh, some little get-togethers at our house with the homies and drink more of it. And one of the things, if you've ever had absinthe, now this the thing with the home-brewed absinthe, and that, I haven't been able to find it ever since a few years ago. I think basically all those folks got busted because you can't, like the, the stuff that's legal now here in the U.S., this stuff is all, oh, Bob's chasing something over there. Um, it's all made, Shh, Bob, Bob, come here, sorry friend, hang on, Bob's getting all crazy over there, waking people, Bob, come here now, I'm gonna have to pause it, because he's gonna stress me out, oh, I can't pause it without turning, opening this stupid thing, sorry friend, alright, it's getting a little active over here, okay, and we're back, Bob was barking, it's like, 11 something at night stress me out trying to chill podcast and chill you know what I mean Empire. do a little relight on the cherry mystique here another sip of the absinthe we're just taking a leisurely pace here tonight friend I hope you don't have anywhere to go or anything to do I was thinking before I recorded this episode like should I really do this episode about absinthe? And it's like, you know what? Yeah, might as well. It's the end of 2021. Things have been hectic for all of us, I would assume, at some level, right? The whole freaking world has been in craziness for two years. It's, who the heck cares, right? i puff on my pipe. All right, so... Awesome Wonderland, absinthe, yes. So I was thinking, you know, should I talk about this? Like, I don't want to talk about this stuff, but at the same time, I'm an adult. I don't know if you're an adult friend. Maybe you are. I hope so, because I told you if you weren't, that you should have turned it off already. But but the other part is, oh, then I remembered. Yeah, so before I record podcasts, sometimes I have conversations in my head, right, where I'm listening to myself talk in my head. And it's kind of like I'm tuning into a conversation. It sounds like my voice. It's my voice in my head. But where does that come from, really, right? So I try to channel or tune into a frequency that is the highest and best often when I'm doing an episode. So I can try to bring some kind of wisdom and knowledge for you, hopefully, you know, and try to not be egotistical, right? Not let the ego get in the way and start talking. 
but I also don't know exactly what that is. Like, what is value for you? I can guess. I think I know. But do I really? Well, in marketing, we test. We throw a bunch of stuff out there and see what sticks. And we analyze it. We look at the numbers. We look at the data. And so I've looked at my most popular, the most popular Finder Flow podcast episodes. Which ones do people download the most? Which ones are the most frequently downloaded? And there's a couple that are have been going strong for years. Um, one is how to be patient. That one's a very popular episode, <laughs> which I can appreciate. You know, I can certainly appreciate. It's something I try to practice all the time. And you know, Elena and I both practice. We have two young boys. You know, so it's it's a thing. And and then the other one, one other one, which is surprising and I think super cool, is the Akashic Records Part Two. Not number one. I mean, that one does okay, but not nearly as well as number two. I don't know why. So those two are kind of the interesting ones. I think that they're they're not getting like you know tons of downloads, but they're very strong and consistent over over many years. So I think that's really fascinating. And then the ones that are like the heavy hitters, the ones that get the most downloads, are one is well one was an interview with Sean Fredrickson. If you haven't listened to that one, I think that one's really cool. It's very much a social flow kind of um you know what's going on in the world and uh this guy who's very active in social justice and you know freedom of speech in in San Diego specifically, uh you know which is important to me coming from San Diego and speaks to a lot of the things of why we moved from San Diego. So if you're interested in that kind of piece of it at all, you know, maybe check out that episode. That's one of the most downloaded episodes of all time so far. And then another one was um, one of the Quora, Q-U-O-R-A, Quora, I think, episodes where I answer a question from one of the folks there. Um, that episode has done really well. So those those were the biggest ones. So it's like, but what the heck? Those are kind of all over the place. You know, what's, what is it that – and then there's this one random update I did – and I was in the car for hours, stuck in the freaking car and traffic and podcasting just to keep myself sane. And I talked about some crazy stuff at the end. And it's one of those things like, I don't know why that episode took off, but maybe I, I feel like that's maybe it. So I was talking about some crazy stuff. So I felt like, well, if I talk about absence in this episode, you know, maybe it would turn some people off. You know, I'm talking about tobacco, which again, it, it is what it is, right? And, oh, and honesty, right? I'm trying to be honest. I try to talk about the real things, but also try to keep it mainstream and keep it kid-friendly for the most part. But that's why I made this episode explicit, so I don't want kids listening. <sighs> okay, so, um, so yeah, a lot of different different angles. So one angle was that... I, through my career as a DJ, when I became a DJ, which was probably around 2003, no, 2000, 2000, um, yeah, that was a big year, big, big, amazing, Bob, you lay down, if you bark, so help me, goodness gracious, lay down, Bob. Patience, practicing patience, right? Come here, you, you spaz. Um, I 
was trying to build my my career as a solo artist at that time. I had been in bands with my bestest friends and, you know, considered them family and it was all amazing for a number of years. And then we just grew apart musically and personally. We went different directions and I got heavy into the rave scene and I just felt like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is, I saw, um, I was at a big rave called How Sweet It Is at this place called The Orange or The Orange Show in Orange County big airplane hangers and just like thousands of people in these airplane hangers and booming, you know, house music. And it was amazing. I was blown away. And I saw this guy, you know, these two guys up at the front playing music and one was playing a synthesizer. It sounded like saxophone, just ripping this amazing solo. I was like, oh my gosh, like I don't need a band. I could do this solo. I can work and grind as hard as I want. I can make my own hours. I don't have to be relying on other people. I don't have to, you know, do all these things that are required in a band. And that was very appealing to me, you know, and so I went my own way. I bought, sold my motorcycle and bought two turn two turntables. Yep, I really did. Bought two turn turntables, no microphone, uh, but it was um, a big change for me. And then as I got older and I started getting different cool gigs. I'm gonna change the side of my microphone. It's getting a little bit of a headache on the side. Excuse me, friend. Try to keep this quiet. Watch your watch your speaker level. Okay, hopefully that wasn't too bad. And we're back. And let's make sure we're still recording. Yes, okay. So I had these opportunities. So I had a few dreams, you know, getting out of before college, actually. Um, I had, well, you know, from... I had the the rock star dream for many years, right? Like with the bands, it was like, okay, I'm gonna, we're gonna be rock stars. We're gonna tour the world and get paid to party and play music. Bob, Bob, better be quiet. And it's gonna be awesome. I'm about to put Bob in the house. He's stressing me out. Be patient. Practice patience. I can't take deep breaths. I'm gonna drink some absinthe. Absinthe tastes like black licorice. I don't know if you know that. And there's different levels to it, different kinds. The kind that I used to brew at home did not, and I'm going to butcher this word, but it's, I think it's called pronounced luge, which is like it doesn't get cloudy, the homebrew stuff. It would just like you'd add the water because you dilute it, generally speaking, because um, it's, otherwise it's way too strong to drink. So you dilute it usually through a slotted spoon with a sugar cube. And some people like that sugar cube on fire and then you drip water through it. And the drops as they hit the water cause the green fairy, the little um, swirls, the white swirls. And those are the fairies in the drink. Well, Bob's like just stressing me out. I feel like he's going to bark and I'm going to lose it. (sighs) He's running back and forth chasing something. So um, 
So the the homebrew stuff didn't do that, but it was very strong. It was very strong because there was no, you know, nobody was <laughs> in a lab, like making sure it wasn't too strong. <laughs> so the thujone levels from the worm, wormwood were, you know, however strong you can make it. And I, I think as far as I could figure out, like the longer I let it brew, the stronger it got. That took me like the second time to fi- kind of figure that out. But so it was, it was very strong. And one time we were at that condo and my buddy Ben Care Bear was his rave name. And he, like, I, I don't remember how I knew it beforehand. I think I probably pushed the envelope some other time bef- between the time Andrea and I drank it and the time Care Bear had it. And, but I knew that there's a limit with absence. Like there's, a level where it's like trippy and awesome and amazing and then it's like okay let's take it further right what's the next level and there is no next level the next level is like you're on the floor hyperventilating and it sucks <laughs> so that was that was my experience and I warned him and warned everybody that night because it was like hey like there's a level where it's awesome and it's cool and everything's fuzzy and green but once you get there, like, don't try to go, don't push it because that's that's it. Like it doesn't go to an, a, a better level beyond that. And I remember one night he ended up, um, you know, doing it, <laughs> trying to push push that level and ended up on the floor hyperventilating. He he was fine, you know, but it's just one of those things. And um, anyway, but then so this stuff here it is. Uh, you know, the legal stuff, because I couldn't find the, the do-it-yourself kits anymore. I bought this at BevMo. No, I didn't. I bought it at a local uh, place here called Specs, actually. So support some local mom-and-pops here. And it's a very nice brand. I, I can't quite recall the name. But one day, maybe if, if this episode gets lots of downloads and I don't get any crazy pushback or, you know, complaints from anybody, and I'm destroying the brand, then uh, maybe I'll do, talk more about it. So, Bob's chewing on his bone. I don't know if you could hear that annoying sound, but at least he's calm. So I'm going to practice my patience and just carry on. And DJing, as I was building my DJ career, you know, I was doing clubs. I was doing the nightlife. Oh, yeah, wow. It does all tie together, I think. So back then when we were living, Elena and I were newlyweds. We were in living in, like I said, Rancho Bernardo. So for those of our friends that don't know, Rancho Bernardo is kind of like a retirement community, okay? I would not have chosen to move there. That was not – because Elena and I were fresh out of college. You know, we were like early 20s. And her mom was older and retired already. She, you know, crushed it in, in life and business, and she was done and like, hey – you know, I'm getting you guys this condo um, in Rancho Bernardo. And we're like, well, we can't argue with her helping us get a place. And so she gets she gets the place, and and that was it. And so it's like, okay, so now we're in this beautiful condo, but we're like in retirementville, literally, like where people retire. So it's kind of like, darn, I'm, I'm you know, hungry for building my career as a DJ. And this is – people are not partying. <laughs> Here listening to house music and, and electronic music in Rancho Bernardo. Downtown San Diego was about a half hour away, and 
it's like, man, or maybe even more, 45 minutes. I don't want to be trying to drive down there all the darn time, but I did because I was promoting shows and putting on events and, um, you know, trying to trying to live the dream. I was living the dream, but it was just kind of a like not ideal in that sense. So over time, that kind of got to me, but it was, you know, it was a nice place and, and we loved living there. And so we did. And... Oh, and then the other dream that I had was becoming a music teacher, right? Because music really literally saved my life in, you know, more ways than one. And when I was a teenager in high school, I was in band. And I've been actually in band since I was a kid. You know, I started playing piano first, but it wasn't my instrument. And then I found saxophone in fifth grade, and that was my instrument, Okay. So I started playing in the band in fifth grade. We had an awesome jazz band when I went to school in Los Angeles and all the way up until eighth grade, which we moved to San Diego. And I joined the band in San Diego in eighth grade and then went to high school in ninth grade and ended up joining the, the band there. But our band in high school, it was different, okay? So in L.A., the band there was freaking badass. Like we were uh, and I, I again don't like to cuss. No, I do like to cuss. I just don't normally cuss on the podcast. But since we're going all out on this one, right? This is we're wrapping up 2021. This is a big freaking crazy year and crazy episode. We're just going for it. So, so um, we had a badass band, and that was when I found out how freaking amazing music was. You know, I was playing saxophone. We I was in jazz band. And we were on stage, and I wasn't the first alto. You know, we had, like, first alto who took the solo, but I was second alto, and uh, saxophone, that is. And we played this song, I Feel Good, right? I feel good. I knew that I would never. And uh, as soon as we started playing it, we were in this, you know, big school auditorium, and it was packed. And the crowd went freaking crazy the crowd just erupted and I never experienced anything like that in my life you know being on stage playing this amazing music this song everybody knew it and I got started getting the chills you know like so hard and my eyes were like vibrating and watering I couldn't even see the music but thank goodness I had it memorized you know and uh we just it was amazing people just it was it was amazing right and I was just like oh my gosh I want I'm going to do this forever. I want this to be in my life. I want to be a musician. And so fast forward to high school. And the high school, my freshman year was like, the, it was a different vibe. Like the, the, the teacher was really a nice guy, an amazing guy, but he could not control the class. The class was out of control. And the seniors just ran the show and they were, you know, snotty teenage kids you know that kind of just were jerky about it and us younger kids just kind of followed in line with the seniors because you know that seemed to be the thing to do and so um you know it was what it was it was fun but it wasn't it, it was just you know that's what it was i guess is a good way we got here i'll give you some 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 ideas we got to play disneyland right we got to play disneyland which was a big deal we we're all very excited however we got there and the trumpet players got so stoned they forgot their music and one kid like fell in the pond while we were playing or, or something and like people stole all the stuff out of the hotel rooms and basically disneyland asked us 
didn't ask us, they banned us from Disneyland. We were never allowed, our school was never allowed to play there again. That's how bad we were, okay? Just to put things in perspective, we got banned from the happiest place on earth. So that sucked. And then, and then I got my first, but we also had uh, you know, Mr. Silverstein. Shout out to Mr. Silverstein if he's out there. I, I appreciate what you're trying to do, man. You were awesome. <laughs> you're a heck of a drum player. I remember you playing jazz on drums, like, a, you know, you were good. And, and you were awesome. You know, I appreciate what you did. Sorry that kids gave you such a rough time. But that's what kids do, you know. That's why it can be a freaking hard job to be a teacher. So, um, what else? Yeah, and he got us our first gig. My first professional gig was at Target. Grand opening, or maybe it's a Walmart. I think it's Target. Grand opening for Target. And we each got, you know, he took the money that we were paid and broke it up between. There was like 50 of us in band. And we got, or maybe 100 of us. And we each got five bucks, basically. <laughs> After he divvied it all up, whatever it was. So it's like, okay, you know, that was cool. It makes you a professional when you get paid to play. And so that was neat. And then uh, junior junior year, well, basically like we sucked for three years. And then senior year, we got a new teacher. And he did not take any anybody's crap, plus all the seniors were gone. And so... Um, it, so I was a senior, and then some of the other guys who are my buddies for years now, you know, were also the seniors, and he shipped us, straightened our ship, shipped us, made us fall in line, basically, right? Like him, and he got this drum corps teacher who was, you know, badass and whipped them into shape and then um, whipped all of us into shape and then built like a, uh, like a, not a ruling. <laughs> Almost had a ruling class. That one, not quite it, but like we, there's a president who is my buddy, and uh, I see his face, Christian. Shout out, Christian. And then uh, I was vice president. I became vice president of the band at that my senior year, and that was really cool. And there's a couple other guys who are also good friends who became like second in command and or head of drum corps and vice president of drum corps or whatever. So it was really cool, you know, like we had some responsibility. We actually started training before school every morning and after school and during summers. We started competing and our school had not competed in marching band in over 10 years. And none of us, I don't think, at least for me for sure, I didn't know that that was a real thing, that that marching band was a real thing, that field shows are a real thing with bands. Like it, for some reason, it never really computed that like, hey, you us as a band can learn how to march together and play together and do these cool field shows where we go out and walk around and make designs and stuff while we're playing. That was so far removed from my sense of what a band could be. And yet we learned how to do it. And we went and competed at some of the local tournaments. And our first local tournament, we ended up winning. I get all emotional here. We ended up winning, and the other bands were cheering for us like crazy. They were so excited because, you know, they, like all the other school bands have been doing this. They've been, it's a thing that bands do, and we didn't even know it was a thing. Like, no, our school had not been represented in over 10 years, and they were just so excited for us. <sighs> yeah. It's a big deal. It's like super. 
drink some out of that. Yeah, um, you know, just really it changed my perspective for a lot of things. Like here I am forty two years old and still like I think back and it's like damn that was crazy, you know? Because that's what it was, is like feeling just like, wow. Like, I didn't know. Uh, it's like all that hard work, it really paid off. And it was like so much bigger than, you know, it's just like high school band competition. But like, it was, it just felt amazing, right? To put in into a word, just like amazing. And after that, me and the other, you know, seniors, we all were just like, dude, we're doing music. We're becoming music teachers. That's it. Like, we're going to be music teachers. We all decided that that was our, our plan in life. Because I think we're all just like, holy geez, like, this is amazing to be able to do this for a bunch of kids. I was just really something else. I didn't know that it could be done. And it was such a positive thing for me. And for all of us. That was something that, you know, we were all... <laughs> I I hung out with a couple of those kids outside of school. You know, we were in our own band, like I said. And, um, you know, we were good kids overall. But it's like... You know, could have gone it, could have gone a lot of different directions. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Could have gone different directions. Bob, you stay here. You chill out, please. <sighs> okay, that was very emotional. It's a turning point in my life for sure to have that experience, and I decided I was going to be a music teacher and I was going to pay it forward and like do that for other kids. Because before that, I wasn't in a good spot, right? I just wasn't, for a lot of reasons. And I felt very in debt to it, in a good way. So, after that, I decided I was going to be a music teacher and I knew nothing about, you know, how to become a music teacher. 
but then I learned like, oh, you have to have a credential, a teaching credential. Okay, how do you do that? Well, you have to go to college. Okay, well, how do you do that? Well, you know, and I remember like sophomore year going to this thing at, the, at our school where it was like, okay, here's like college prep day and here's all the things you need to do if you're going to prepare to go to college. And it's like, maybe it's even freshman year, I don't remember, but it was like, dude, that kind of stuff was so over my head. I, you know, going to college was not something my parents ever talked about, really. You know, again, my mom would take courses here or there, but it was very much like, oh, I want to become a photographer, so I'm going to take a photography class, and then she would just go be a photographer. (laughs) She didn't have to get a degree in photography. My dad, you know, took a few classes when he was young, but he never finished, and he was a business owner, right? He, um, so it was never that big of a deal in my family. And I, and it was like all these kids at high school were knew what they were doing. It's like, oh, I'm going to go to this school and I'm taking this AP class and I'm getting these credits. And it's just like, oh my gosh, like, I don't even know what any of that means. And I I don't care. Like, I just want to be a rock star. (laughs) I don't think I need to do any of this stuff. Right. And I want to be in real estate and just be wealthy and just, you know, be financially free. And like, I don't see how this all ties together. And uh, so I kind of just like walked out of there just like, yeah, well, forget college. You know, that's not my thing. And then senior year, that experience was like, okay, well, I should figure this out. So I started after that, I went to community college and started just taking classes because that's just like what you're supposed to do, it seemed. And um, meanwhile, I got a, uh, I was working with a friend of mine doing just random construction stuff, and we ended up, he ended up getting this one client, and I'm working for this guy who was this cool surfer dude, you know, in um, Point Loma, and uh, he invited me to start working with him, and I did, and he was flipping houses, and I was like, oh, sweet, this is what I wanted to do, I wanted to flip houses and get rich in real estate and be able to just play music all the time. And that was what this dude was doing. <laughs> he literally just flipping houses, living at the beach, and playing music. He's like, man, this guy's my freaking idol. He, like, he's a mentor. You know, he became a good friend of mine, friend tour, mentor friend, and taught me his way of flipping houses, which was admittedly like freaking crazy. You know, using credit cards and like doing all. But he did it. I helped him do it uh, from being a, just a worker. You know, I saw him do it firsthand. So, and and become, excuse me, financially free in the process over a relatively short period of time. You know, I helped him as he flipped like eight houses or nine houses. And meanwhile, I was going to community college and I was partying my face off on the weekends. I was spending all the (laughs) I was living at home, thankfully, and going to community college and all, like not all the money, but a lot of the money that I would make during the week. I would go and spend on going to raves because I, my bands and I, we went our separate ways and I discovered the rave scene. Like I said, this was before I started DJing and producing music myself. I was just going as a participant to these events, you know, party favors are not cheap and tickets are not cheap and all that good stuff. And so I was, oh, and so it was very much like, being able to get into that other dimension, you know, the rave scene, at least back then, was there was things that one could access that could put one in a different state of mind if one was into that kind of thing 
and experience these amazing vibes, you know, vibrations of community and love and plur, peace, love, unity, and respect was uh, kind of a raver thing back then. And like be it, you know, the whole theme of a party would be very like themed and people were just on this amazing loving kind of vibe and then the things you could take that could help and you know accentuate that and music the music was amazing right and if you didn't like the music in one room you could walk over to the other stage or the other room and find the vibe that fit for you and my friends and I we would go and we'd split up and we'd go meet new people and we'd trek around and, and we'd meet back up and it was amazing so yeah oh okay so then I'd be then at one point I realized like hey you know I've got a I want to be a DJ I want to be a music producer I'm going to stop going to parties and I'm, every time you guys before you go to a party come to my house you know we'll pre-party and then I'll get to work learning to mix records because I used to have vinyl back then, vinyl records, and you guys then go party. And that was our, what we did for like six months straight was I would just stay home and work on my my skills as a DJ, and they would go out and party. And then 2000, New Year's Eve 2000 happened. And at that point, I had been practicing DJing and dancing for like six months straight. And um, we, there was this New Year's Eve, and I've told this story before, but it's worth telling again because my good friend Jared, who I thought somehow knew this story, didn't didn't realize this was like the origin story of Find Your Flow, so so I'll share it again. So, and, and we all thought Jared was there. I don't, kind of bizarrely, Jared, we thought he was there and he wasn't there, and it's just three of us. No, it's four of us, but Jared wasn't physically there. He was there in spirit. But we all swore he was there, and he was in Texas, ironically, and now I'm in Texas telling you this story 22 years later, 21 years later, coming up on New Year's Eve, bizarre, wow, so many trippy things. So New Year's Eve 2000, if you're old enough to remember, was Y2K. Y2K, oh my gosh, the whole, you know, the computers, they're not set to go to 2000, and they're all going to reset, and it's going to be a banking meltdown, and oh my gosh, pan, it's going to be, you know, crazy pandemonium, and we all better pull all of our money out, and everything's going to crash, and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it's all fake news, right? They got to hype stuff up to scare us to do whatever they're trying to, whatever agenda they're pushing at that that time, sell newspapers, sell ads, sell other things and uh, uh, stay on target stay on target um, so we my friends and I were like screw it let's go out to the desert right it's like a great time to to go out to the desert so we grabbed some fun guys uh, that we know to hang out with and we brought them out there with us and there was, was me not Jared Me, Dave, Mark, and Jeremy, and um, we we were in, we were in the demo Sarge. So <laughs> we're in Jared's truck. I think we're in the demo Sarge. I don't remember. We we're in a truck. It could have been no. It couldn't have been Jared's truck. Fool. <laughs> it was not Jared's truck. Jared was not there. 
it was Jeremy's truck. So Jeremy's truck was called the Demo Sarge, and he bought it off Rich, who's our mentor, our friend, and it was for doing demolition because we're you know rehabbing houses, right? So, so we're we're out in the desert, and uh, you know we're hanging out with fun guys, right? And more fun guys than I'd ever hung out with before uh, in one time. And uh, the the sky was amazing. Like there was, it was, there was these flat clouds, literally flat clouds. I was like, whoa, what the heck is that? And Mark is a smart guy. And he's like, oh, that's the in, the in, uh, inversion layer, right? The inversion layer, the hot air and the cold air hit right there and the clouds get flattened out and it, does that? I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing looking. So we had these flat clouds in the sky, and then we had a fire, and uh, you know we're in the middle of the desert listening to trance music, which is electronic dance music, and um, and it was amazing, just like vibing, and I'm starting to to dance this liquid style dance, which I'd learned through raving, and it's basically just very fluid and flowing and also doing this style called floating, which makes it look and feel like you're floating across the floor and across the sand and the dunes. And this, I don't remember if this part's real, if I'm making it up for a good story, but I think it was real. Um, there was a, a, a wind bush, what are those things that blow across the wind, the desert, Brussels sprouts, um, other bush. Anyway, those bushes that like kind of roll across the ground, tumbleweed, and it rolled and caught on fire. So we had a burning bush and everything. And I was just like, you know, hanging out with these fun guys, getting deep into a trance, dancing. And before I knew it, I was floating above my body. I was lifted up and floating above my body. And I heard this voice, you know, kind of come down into, again, inside my head. So is it my voice? Well, it's inside my head, but it wasn't really my voice. It felt like it was not, but it felt like it was being said in my voice so as not to scare me because it was a voice that I could relate to and not be freaked out by, right? That was my intuition. It's like, okay, I'm tuned into this very wise frequency, this high frequency, and it's radiating in my head. I've got a stereo receptor in my head um, some people might call that like the uh, pineal gland, right? If you're into that whole thing, if you kind of understand the way that works and the way that radios work, where you can, and old, the old school TVs, where you can adjust to pick up different frequencies. Like, okay, well, there's no things that you can see if you just walk around normal life, uh, but if you tune the dial on the thing, then it will get to, you know, it'll bring in that certain radio ch- channel or that certain TV channel, and you can see it or you can hear it, okay? So it's kind of like that inside our heads. Our body has five senses, and you have the sixth sense if you're aware of it and you practice it, and you can tune in to different frequencies and have them basically kind of play through your other senses in a sense, right? Especially if you have, um, if you practice meditation or practice flow states. So I'm floating above my body, my body's flowing through the sand, dancing, liquid-style floating. And and this wise voice says to me, this is flow. You will write a book about – so so my body – I was dancing, and, you know, even – and all these moves that I've been practicing over the last six months were starting to link together effortlessly. I've been practicing these little bits and pieces from – one of the cool things about the rave scene back then – I don't know if it's still like that. I haven't been in many, many years. But it was like – you or I would meet these 
different people, right? And it was kind of a common experience, I think. It's one of the neat things about the culture back then was like one could meet different people or see different people's dance styles and you recognize like oh that's like you know jacking oh those people are from like chicago or like the east coast oh these people are doing the uh nordic track <laughs> which is kind of like a pretty common dance style back then it's like lots oh, pretty west coast kind of things and kind of like norcal style and then like liquid okay and so you see these different dance styles and then tut which is like king tut like the egyptian kind of looking dance styles and you'd see people that have these different styles and um one could go up and ask them like hey you know can you show me that or how do you do this or how do you do that thing and people would show you and so one could develop a style based on seeing other people dance or just make up your own style do crazy stuff jerry would just do crazy anarchy style dances and then my, my friend ryan our friend ryan he would just take up as much space as he could when dancing <laughs> that was his style it was just like do this like jumping sporadic like crazy just use as much space on the dance floor as he could and then uh yeah and then other you know and then we had like care bear and he would he was very much like a puddle kid like so the puddles were like the etards the kids who were all messed up on e ecstasy and they would be, just be so you know rolling so hard they'd just be on puddles and they, they would be like in groups on the floor just like giving each other massages and sniffing vicks vapor rub and wearing you know the masks with the vicks vapor rub and wearing beads and you know if you any your sensors are all uh, extra sentry in that perception because of the things that one could take then and um and so <laughs> so I drink more absinthe and so um it's getting cold um, I think I should put on my jacket back on. And so we're in the desert, Y2K, and Bob, stay here, please, Bob, stay here, come here, lay down, lay down, just buzzy dog, come here, come here, Bob, good boy, good boy, okay, love you, and so we're in the desert, and uh, all these moves are just magically syncing up, like all, everything's flowing, right, My, I could do no wrong, if I slipped, it turned into a magical spin. Excuse me. And if I did this thing, it would like somehow turn into this new move I'd never done before. So like even things that felt like mistakes suddenly turned out, if I just kept going with it, turned out to be this new amazing thing that I could not have done had I not made that mistake. Get it? Right, like if I hadn't done what I thought with my conscious mind, my critical thinking mind said like, "Oh, that's a mistake, that's not the move, but because I just went with it and kept going and just let that voice just fade out, suddenly I was doing new moves, better moves, moves that I was never able to even comprehend before, and that was the flow. I was just in the flow, just going with it, and being non judgmental, non critical, letting the critical mind just fade away, and as I did that. I disconnected from the body, and it just kept going. It just kept flowing. And my consciousness drifted upward, or was pulled upward above my body. And that's when I got the download. And the download was like, this is flow. You will learn to spread this experience into (sighs) 
you will learn to spread this experience into all areas of your life and you will write a book about this. And it was just so profound. And I remember just feeling like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then I floated back down into my body and I was like, whoa. And I could feel and see my physical body as it was still dancing. And I was like starting to reconnect with it, become more present of it in like a, you know, like connected from a first person kind of standpoint. And I was seeing my body as it was dancing, the molecules all like coordinating to move together through time, through time, okay? And, and through space, like it was existing, but it was moving, but it was also coordinated through as we were progressing through time. And I was tripping out. <laughs> and I was trying to explain it to my friends, like, you guys, like I just had this out-of-body experience. I was just floating up there and I got this, this presence, this awareness just said to me that this is the flow and I'm going to write a book. And they were just like, okay, yeah, great, you know, cool, whatever. <laughs> and uh, so it was like, okay. And then the next day, it was like, it didn't go away. It wasn't, you know, like I forgot it. It was like, man, this is, that was, that was an experience. That was an amazing experience. And I didn't know exactly what it meant. Like, I'm going to write a book about that. Like, that I was, you know, out in the desert doing these things. Like, no, I'm not going to. And, and everybody I try to explain to is just like, dude, you're crazy. Like, don't tell people. <laughs> don't tell people about that. You can't tell people about that. And so eventually it was like, yeah, you're right. I can't tell people about this. This is insane. This sounds nuts. This is 2000, right? So different times. And um, I kept it to myself just because, like, yeah, it's not the kind of thing people talked about. But I still had that, like, I got that very strong direction, like, you will write a book about this. So it's like, well, I better get started. So where do I start? Well, I guess I should start, like, trying to write about journal and log these flow states. Like, how do I have that experience again? Like, what things led me to that experience? And so I started journaling and trying to keep track of it. And one thing I stumbled upon over the years was, like, coincidence and how coincidence happened when I paid attention to it. And the more I paid attention to it and journaled it and logged it, the more coincidences I would experience. And if I was paying attention, like I could have experiences where other people would be involved and we could both experience that coincidence. And I call that social flow. And then I could have coincidences that were more like spiritual in nature and I would call that spirit flow. And then I'd have the dancing or um, you know, skateboarding type experiences or playing music and those I called body flow. And then I had things where it was like I was thinking about something or I was reading about something or writing about something and I would call that mind flow. And then I realized like, well, gosh, you know, something that has been a big part of my life and, and everybody's life to some degree is cash and understand, like for me, it was a very touchy and taboo subject growing up. You know, money uh, was a, a huge cause of stress and um you know arguments and and fighting and stuff one story i wanted to share that you know came through to me again recently and i guess now's the time I, I can share it um was just you know growing up we when we got to uh i, I was like in second grade my family was you know coming up and we moved out of the our first house and, and uh out of van nuys well we're still in van nuys i think sherman oaks um but from, you know, a little house into a, the next level house and on a really nice street. 
and my best friend lived about uh you know one house over and uh, kind of like the next street over which was not such a nice street you know and they were they were kind of poor you know and uh we were kind of rich at that time and um and so it was kind of interesting you know like and uh one thing one day we were having this conversation and he's like you know it was after i think my parents had had this big fight he's just like yeah man your parents fight so much and and they have these horrible fights and it was about money i think because uh, i think that was kind of like what brought it up and it's like we were rich but my parents were, or, or so to speak you know it's all relative right but like we lived in a nice house and we weren't starving okay but yet money was always this like fighting subject that in religion and uh i said well you know your parents must fight you know because i was just thinking like well he's poor so his parents must fight like even more right and he's just like yeah my parents don't fight like your parents like you know it's just like what and i remember you know just like it didn't compute it was just like well how could that be how could we you know you guys are you know he would literally and, and again this is like my best friend so it's like but it didn't you know when you're a kid it doesn't it's just different you don't see it the same eyes as an adult right like here i am speaking to you now but it's like you know he would get hungry and eat out of the trash cans at school right after other kids had you know thrown away their half-eaten food or whatever like if he was still hungry you'd just go eat out of the trash can and um it, and it, yeah right <laughs> right so it's like shoot how could so i didn't understand how that could be like how can we have money but yet my parents fight and argue and scream about money all the time and you don't have any money and your parents don't argue as much as mine and that kind of gave me certain impressions about money growing up my parents got divorced and a big part of it was religion and money so money for me has been one of my life lessons right trying to figure out like what is it? Why is it? How does it really work? Like, how does is money the root of all evil, or is it just a, a vehicle for whatever you want to get, or is it, um, you know, just this fiat currency printed until like you know to enslave us all? You know, all these kind of levels to it, and um, so yeah, cash flow. Cash flow became the fifth element, okay? Mind, body, spirit, social, cash. And then also lately I just feel like workflow is just, you know, kind of goes hand in hand with cash flow. So those are the five flows, F-L-O-W, five laws of water, the five flows of water, flows of water. And uh, it's an acronym kind of sort of there for you. Trademark that, you heard it here first. And... <sighs> yeah, friend. What time is it? How long have we been going at this? Twelve oh five. Goodness. It's Wednesday, December twenty ninth. Let's just see how long we've been doing this. Over an hour. Holy smokes. Okay. Well <sighs> be cool to upload it right now. <laughs> Maybe I should sober up before I do that and just think about it first. Okay. <laughs> uh, so 
as we start to wrap it up tonight, going into 2022, um, life is a trippy thing, friend, right? And so I, I um, was, uh, you know, thinking about, so, so I was logging these experiences to try to figure out how am I going to write a book about this thing I don't even understand and the internet was still fairly new back then, right? It's still kind of like, hey, let's go on AOL and like pick up imaginary chicks and like <laughs> whatever. And I could have probably done more research, but I, I intentionally didn't want to. I intentionally did not want to know if anybody else had figured out this flow thing, right? I wanted it to be untarnished by anybody else's thoughts. So I did not study or look up flow until many years later. And I would just journal and write my experiences so that one day maybe I could figure out how to put together a book. And years later, I think around 2008, 2009, I published, no, probably wasn't even until later than that, maybe 2013, I think I published the first Find Your Flow book in the series. And it was just like, I'm just going to publish, I'm just going to write a book and publish it because I've been trying to work on this book for so many years and I don't really still even understand what the heck I'm doing with it. And I published the first one called A Social Experiment or called Social Experiment. And the idea was like, if I could just give people inspiration and do something awesome. My mom was dying of cancer at that time and I just felt so helpless. And then like, it was just sucky times, friend. It was horrible. <sighs> and I was working this horrible job that I hated, soul-sucking job. And because I had gotten out of real estate because the crash. I got out right before the crash in 2008. So it had to be like 2009, maybe 2010. And um, and so I wrote this book. And I was being optimistic about it. Looking back, I was like, wow, I'm doing this great job and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, optimism has its place for sure. But it's also like, it could be a double-edged sword. So... Anyway, I wrote the book. It wasn't the big book. It wasn't the one I felt like that's the book. I, was, I got that download in 2000, you know, in 1999, New Year's Eve. It wasn't that one, but it was like, I just felt like I've been dragging it on. And I still didn't really understand, like, what the heck? Am, like, I don't get it. Like, was I just messed up on, on you know, on magic mushrooms? And, uh, you know is all in my head or like, am I really writing a book about flow states and my experience on flow and like my life philosophy? I don't know, but my mom's dying of cancer and I want to raise money for her and I want to do something cool and like make it easy for people to take action. And this was again, when the internet was like, it's hard to remember this stuff, you know, it's like, what was it like back then? But it was, Facebook wasn't what it was now at this time of 2021 um, not that Facebook's a thing anymore anyway. Now it's meta, right? What does that mean? It means death in Hebrew. We're dead. So we're talking about some metaverse next level stuff at this point, which is insane too. But um, but the idea was that I could do some. Oh, the idea was that like I could create something that would require minimal effort from people, but get this amazing biofeedback of thought kind of experience going right where it's like if you just it'd be it was kind of like multi-level marketing but not really trying to make money so much as like raise some money for conscious for cancer um you know and cancer cure 
and use basically like the power of social media or to like share this idea, right? It was before memes were a thing. So it was like, can I make a viral thought that could be this book that you read in less than an hour and you buy it for 99 cents, you buy it for a buck, you share it, you could then see who you shared it to. So it's kind of like you share it and then you tag people and then they read it and then they they buy it for a dollar and then all that money goes to cancer research or cancer funding or whatever. That was the idea. And I even got the guy from who co-wrote the chicken cup of chicken soup for the soul book series. Like he's a cancer survivor and he actually wrote the foreword for my book, which was an amazing coincidence, social flow and all that magic. Um, and, oh, and it became a bestseller, but it wasn't like I got rich off it. And of course I didn't keep any of the money anyway, but I didn't make that much money even worth donating to cancer. And then there was the whole, like, then it's like, well, I don't believe in any of this cancer research stuff anyway. You know, it's like at the end of the day, like I want to do like sound therapy <laughs> and Rafe technology and like these things that are like made illegal because they're not FDA approved. And you, you, what am I doing? What is this all about? You know? And, and I just felt so helpless. My mom was going through all that BS and the chemo and these things. And it's like trying to write this book and it's like, I have this calling supposedly, but I don't know what it means. And I've got all these notes about flow states and coincidences and like working this horrible, like I was a top producing agent when I was a real estate agent and I had respect and I built up this whole thing and I was young, you know, and like doing well and starting to make money and crush it. And then I left it all behind and um, then the market crashed and it's like, you know, the whole bubble burst and everybody I knew that had been crushing and successful was like, not anymore and um i've been working this other job as a marketing manager and crushing it making a ton of money and then the owners kind of like screwed everybody and um suddenly i felt you know responsible for using my marketing skills to promote this service that then people didn't fulfill on so it was kind of like partly responsible even though i didn't wasn't trying to so just all these weird like things and I was trying to deal with and figure out and on top of that my mom was literally dying and, and then I got laid off like three times in a row and I was selling CDs on the corner of the freeway it's like a bad dream Sometimes. But then, but so the, oh, so here we are. What year is it? It's 2021. But I survived. Did I die? <laughs> but did I die? No, I didn't die. I'm here and I'm stronger than ever because I've been through all that crap, you know, and I've got the book and I'm getting close to publishing the big one, I think. But I don't like to say that because I don't like to hype things. Because I've hyped things in the past, like I got all excited, like, oh, I'm going to do this. And then I f didn't, you know, so that's not the idea here. I, I don't know when I'll publish it, if ever, but I think I will. 
I feel like I'm getting closer to understanding because what's the purpose? What's the point of the book? I've revised it so many times over the last 22 years. Like what's the purpose of doing a book like that, right? Who is it for? Who's going to even read it? Who cares? Some freaking guy had some experience out in the desert. That sounds like pure madness. And that's like a movement that like we're going to get behind that, right? Like I've been talking on this podcast, I think since, so I started this podcast in December, I think 2000, I don't even know. It's been like eight or nine years and I haven't put really any, I've put money into producing it. Like it costs money to host this and produce it and all that, you know, and that's all money just out of pocket because this is a passion. This is my therapy, I feel like. And I feel like if there's one person that hears this and says like, yeah, this, that helped me, then it was successful, right? There's definitely that rewarding kind of feeling. And to be honest, friend, you know, in recent months started, um, I had my first 10,000 episodes, 10,000 download month and uh, been hovering, been hitting 9,000 downloads a month, pretty consistent. And that's just organic friends of us listening. So I really appreciate you. If you're still here listening to me ramble on at 12 in the morning, about whatever stuff I've been saying for the last hour. And then I think, okay, well, what's the purpose? So in my business life, I'm, I've launched, I am launching a real estate product and I got my first client for that. And that's pretty powerful and amazing. But then there's still this darn find your flow thing. What is it all about? Is it about me just rambling on? Is there some bigger purpose? Am I still writing the book, the big one? Am I actually ever going to publish it? And if so, why? For who? What's the point? What is the the point? And I think, I think if I had to guess, and this is just a guess, because again, I don't really know, but it's like one thing that I feel like this whole experience has taught me over the last 20 years is that I can do anything that I want, that I can figure it out. I can law of attraction it. I can flow with it. I can put the intention out there and realize it in physical reality. And that's kind of a superpower, kind of is, right? I wanted to be a DJ. I became a DJ. Wanted to go to the Playboy Mansion. I didn't actually get to do that yet. And I don't know that I want to anymore, to be honest, where I'm at in life, what I've learned and stuff. But I had my own version of that experience, the PB Castle. I got to play, um, I, you know, it's a small local castle, castle, yes, in Pacific Beach. I had an awesome client who paid me, and I had beautiful women, beautiful models that I got a DJ for and danced to music I was playing and producing, and that was like basically the dream. You know, it was a different version of it, right, which is kind of a law of attraction thing. It's not always the way you think it's going to be, but it's the same essence. That was definitely that essence. Like, I got to be a baller. I got paid to play in clubs and, you know, for many years and paid to party for many years. I got my full experience of that. I'm old and over all that scene. Um, when I want to be a music teacher, I never actually got my teaching credential, friend, but I did become a music teacher, okay? So to finish, to circle back to that story, I ended up getting private students. I ended up teaching at many, many private schools throughout San Diego and teaching hundreds of kids over the years. And so I felt like I repaid that debt. I feel like I, you know, was able to help kids and, and bring music to kids until the point where I felt like, okay, I've, I've served that karma. I'm ready to move to the next chapter for now. When I wanted to become a, a real estate agent, I became an agent and became a top producing agent. When I wanted to then shift into becoming a real estate investor, I magically got this job 
consulting at this for this company called Fortune Builders, and they teach real estate investors all across the country. I got to teach investors how to do real estate, how to do internet marketing. I got to invest alongside Dan Merrill and Paula Sagian, two of the top uh, real estate investors in the country, if not the world, and learn from them. And and Conrad and you know all these people who are amazing entrepreneurs. I got to get paid to learn from them. Right. And that's amazing. How did that happen? It was some freaking guy that like barely passed high school. I was a music major for goodness sake. Right. Like how did, how did I do that? If I can do that, you can do that. And that's, I feel like my message is like, like you can do it. You know, if you understand a few things and the way I do it will be a little different than you, you find your flow. Right. I'm not trying to preach. I just was fortunate enough over the years to stumble on this thing, and I'm just stubborn enough in just the right way to not listen to the BS that's been shoved down all of our collective throats for darn near eternity. And so I figured it out, and I wanted to help you figure out your way of doing it. And so for me, I feel like there's a way where it's like the find your flow package that I'm thinking of kind of developing slash launching or whatever, but like getting people involved where it's like, how could I help you want to be a dog walker? Great. Here's the, the technology you need. Here's the training you need to like make it amazing. You know, here, oh, you want to be a massage therapist and you've got the certification and you want to just build your clients. Okay, here's how you do the marketing. Here's how you do the, here's the tools to build your presence and build your clients. You know, that's where I feel like my magic is, is being able to, and that's what my mom did was like, she did whatever she wanted, <laughs> Right, like nobody could tell her, like, oh, you can't just go and do music. You can't just go and do, um, you know, hair and makeup for movie stars. Like, but then she did, right? And that's what I feel like I got from her. And I feel like that's what the book is about. Is like just how I was able to magically fall into these amazing entre, uh, you know, entrepreneurial things and uh, be paid to learn the cool things I want to learn and be a DJ when I want to be a DJ and be, you know, have that rock star experience and still have the beautiful wife that I dreamt about for all my years growing up. Like, how can I find this beautiful woman who'd be my loving wife? And I've had her for the last 22 years. And how can I have two amazing kids? And I've got them and a house and like, boom, we got this. And it's like, I didn't do it all myself, you know, I definitely have people have helped me along the way and God and whatever you want to call it, you know, for me, I call it God in the universe and different things and, and flow. And I found my flow and I'm always finding my flow. It's an ongoing learning experience of the doing of the thing, of the being of the guy, the find your flow guy. That is the, the personality that I made up to be this guy that is flowing and easygoing. And I have to go pee really bad, friend, and I've been talking for a long time, so I think I'm going to go pee and then upload this episode before I think too hard about it, and then we'll see what happens. And if people say, like, Winston, you're off-brand or, you know, don't talk about tobacco and absence and say crazy things like be whatever, then maybe I'll take it down. So let's do it. All right. I love you, friend. Take care. And until next time, my friend. Slow down because I gotta turn this thing back on. Until next time, my friend, be flowing. Well, thanks for listening, friend. By the way, do you have a story that you would like to share with other flowers? Maybe you'd like to put it in a book. Well, 
go to findyourflow.com forward slash author club and learn how you can publish your own book or become a published author in the Find Your Flow book series. Simply go to findyourflow.com forward slash author club, all one word, and be sure to join the free Facebook group while you're at it. Thanks, friend. And until next time, be flowing.